Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is Dr. Amy Parks. Amy is the founder and CEO for the Clinical Supervision Directory, which connects clinical supervisors with supervision seekers and provides an ongoing support to the mental health field with education and supervision and ethics. Amy, who holds a doctorate in educational psychology, is also the executive director of Wise Mind Solutions, a Northern Virginia-based group psychotherapy practice. She's got over 30 years of experience focused on children, teens, and families. We're excited to have Amy with us today to discuss clinical supervision and her new project, the Clinical Supervision Directory. Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here, Graham. Thank you so much. We're excited to have you here as well. You know, Amy, the Clinical Supervision Directory, I'm going to refer to probably as CSD, just to kind That's of shorten it. Me too. Yep. Is the first directory of its kind in mental health profession. And in developing it, you've completely changed the old ways, I remember for me and I'm sure for you too, the old ways that one would search for supervision. And I'm going to have you describe it later in the show in more detail. But in short, it's kind of a one-stop shop for supervision seekers to research and find the supervisors that are going to be best for them. And as I was thinking about this and learning about it, I was curious, what was it like in your training? And how did you secure supervision for your licensure process? So excellent. I need that soundbite because exactly what you just said is exactly the goal, which is being a one-stop URL. And when I was coming up in my training, I had to ask a friend of a friend. So I (laughs) went through my master's degree program and I actually didn't really realize I wanted to be a licensed clinician until several years after I graduated. I went into education as a school psychologist And then later realized I wanted to get licensed. And so I had to ask a friend of a friend. And then they asked a friend of a friend, which is how you find a really good restaurant. That's not how you find the person who's going to guide your professional career, right? right. I got lucky because uh, the friend of a friend knew a good friend. But, you know, that's really kind of how I ended up finding the person who ended up doing my supervision. And and I was, again, really lucky. And, And sometimes people land in the right place with the right supervisor at work or the right supervisor in their community placement and their internship or something. But more often than not, they graduate and they end up on their parents' couch because they don't know where to go. And as much as our universities do an amazing job of training, they don't necessarily have, well, they don't have a responsibility really to handhold through that next step. And so from my experience, you know, I got kind of lucky, but I meet hundreds of people every day, just like you and I, who, you know, either were lucky or weren't lucky and went through just crazy situations where either they had a terrible match with their supervisor or it took months and months and months for them to find a supervisor or the supervisor that they had turned out to not actually be a licensed supervisor at all. And so that's the worst many horror stories I've heard. In fact, we actually did a whole series on TikTok in October around horror stories of supervision because there were so many I could do 30 days of them. That's awful. Well, what you're raising right here is such a good reminder to us that this period in a soon-to-be-licensed-eligible early career practitioner is really a critical time. They've done all of this hard work. They've invested so much time, energy, 
sweat equity, all those things that goes into this. And, and they're ready to launch into an independent you know, practice or become an independent practitioner. But they've got to bridge one more thing. And early career practitioners, you know, going into supervision for licensure, really they're they're looking to bridge their experience in the classroom to real world independent practitioning, being practitioners in an independent way. And it's such an important time. Give us a sense of the importance of this transitional period in your mind as it sets an important foundation for one's practice and how you see good supervision being a critical piece in this bridging from the classroom to independent practice. There's really nothing more essential than this period. I mean, it, I, it, I couldn't it, agree it more. States in our 50 plus one states. So I always say that because of DC is not really a state. So in our 50 plus one states, we have a varied degree of responsibilities for that period of time of training for people that are residents slash associates, whatever their title is, and that varies as well. And it can range anywhere from a thousand hours of direct service to 4,000 hours of direct service. 4,000 hours of direct service. And I guarantee you that many of those people have maybe had a maximum of 200. And that's, you know, maybe 300 in their internship. And so it is a period of, of exponential growth of time, exp expansion of time during which they have to do, they're doing direct service. And during that time, they have anywhere from 50 to 200 hours of then supervision. And that experience is very pivotal because they are no longer being supported at the university level. They're also no longer supported by a cohort of peers. They're in an experience where they are navigating new employment. They are in a, in a role where they are fully responsible for the clients they're serving. They're no longer a student. And they are determining not only, you know, what their, their role is as a new early career practitioner, a, a new person in the workforce. Yes. Not only that, but also how to navigate having a boss, how to navigate having someone being your, your clinical supervisor, your managerial supervisor, having colleagues, having, you know, if you work with children, having parents that are overseeing you, working with collateral caregivers, all of the things that you have to navigate when you're in the mental health field. These aren't people that are that are merely, and not to minimize anyone else's role, but that are merely going to be, become accountants and read somebody's spreadsheets. Right. These are yeah. people that are impacting the lives and well-being and holding people's potential lives in their hands. Even generationally. Critical decisions, and absolutely generationally. So yeah. there's so much impact to that. So the supervisor and the supervisor's role becomes very delicate in in holding that space for for that early career practitioner. An incredible responsibility. Yeah, what you just did right there was nicely capturing how a early career practitioner, as well as a supervisor, gets to kind of back up, pan out, and from a ten thousand foot view, just so appreciate what that role is about, what that transitional time is really entailing and requiring and the importance of it. You know, sometimes, you know, you went through it, I went through supervision, 2000 hours, these kinds of things and 4,000 hours. And, and when you're in it, you don't fully appreciate all of it when you back out, pan out, or you're, and, and, and you get to look at it the way that you just described it. Someone considering being a supervisor, someone considering who do I want to go into supervision with, appreciating all the facets of it that you just mentioned 
really can help make that decision-making process something very intentional, very much more clear. And I'm thinking about, you know, just because I'm going to talk about the supervisor here for a moment, then I'm going to come back to what should an ECP be looking at in supervision. But let's go back to the, the, the practitioner you're talking about and this idea of how should a supervisor be thinking about their role and the importance of it. And just because one has been practicing in the field for a while, maybe even teaching, it doesn't necessarily make them a good supervisor automatically, right. even though they've gone through and, you know, it, what, what are some of the qualifications and importantly, character traits of a good supervisor? Yeah. So I think about three things when I think about the best supervisors, there are certainly skill levels that are critical, uh, you know, a strong sense of ethics, a clear understanding of your state laws, you know, a, 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 a very wide and, and deep tool bench of our skill bench that you can access when your supervisee is, is struggling. A sense of compassion when, again, when your supervisee is struggling with yourself and with your supervisee. Excellent communication skills, supportive empathy. But I think of really all of those things coming under three buckets. One of them is collaborative. One of them is as, so one of them is a collaborator. One of them is as a consultant. And one of them as is as a coach. Mm -hmm. The consultant actually is really more almost like a like a counselor consultant. So really, you know, in that you're you're never really your supervisee's counselor, but there may be times when you do have to take on a, an empathetic sort of counseling tone sure. to help uncover opportunities where potential transference or counter-transference is happening and help bring some awareness of that when blinders are on or bias is occurring. And so that kind of consultant role kind of comes in there and that coaching role kind of maybe bleeds a little bit into counseling. And yeah, so, really, yeah. yeah, continue, please. No, that's what I was, that's what I'm thinking. So yeah. I really kind of look at those three, those three things and, and, and a collaborator because really that's where you're, how you're partnering. Yeah, really good. I, I, I think those are all Wonderful piece of kind of your three C's, C cubed. The idea here is that some people sometimes think that supervision, consultation, and mentorship are all the same thing. They're just interchangeable words, but they're not because supervision has a legal component to it, doesn't it? Which is what you're talking about. You're signing off on somebody, you're responsible for somebody, and you have a legal component to this. Briefly talk about that. Then I want to go back to something you're talking about in terms of kind of the coach and the consultant piece. Talk about the how those three are different, supervision, consultation, and mentorship. Yeah. So unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to supervise because of that litigious component. And I see a lot of people saying, oh, I'm afraid, like it doesn't feel safe. I'm mm. concerned about that. So yeah. So when, when you have a supervisee under your license, they are, they're lined up underneath you. And if anything li legally or litigious happens, with them, then you become legally responsible for them. And that is why I'm very clear. And I reassure all supervisors, look, you know, that's true. These people are working under your license. You continue to work and you feel confident in your work. When you bring these people on, part of your responsibility is to train them in such a way that you feel confident that they are going to do the job that represents you. But that means that you actually have to do a little bit more work meaning you have to make sure that you're clear about your ethics, which hopefully you are, 
you have to make sure you're clear about the laws of your state and the the supervision requirements of your state. So many people aren't, and that's a real problem. And and be really clear about supervision about communication. I had a supervisee come to me yesterday, and and he said he's working with a couple parenting, and they have a contentious uh, custody battle happening. And he said, so I'm going to send this email, and it was pretty wordy, and and for lack of a better explanation, too many words. Yes. And he said, I'm going to send this email. And I said, yes, you could send that. Or you could send this. And my email was about six words. And I said, either one is fine. Generally, however, less is better. And he said, you know, thank you. So my response was, you know, like, I get it. You can send that. And you can send this, you know, like, so, so you kind of come at it from like, I get where you're coming from. I want to support you. And I've been around the block yes. 150 more times than you have. Yeah. And so here's where we're going to come from. And then I have to stand behind him if he sends his own email. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Nearly nine in 10 registered voters believe the nation faces a mental health crisis, according to a new USA Today Suffolk University poll. Americans are more concerned than ever about their mental health. Mental Health First Aid provides the resources and training to identify, understand, and respond to signs of mental health and substance use challenges. It provides the confidence and skills needed to offer life-saving assistance, and it provides peace of mind. Our experts provide mental health first aid training for adults, teens, caregivers, veterans, law enforcement, EMS, and school faculty. Mental health concerns are on the rise, but evidence-based training through Mental Health First Aid can make a difference. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org to find a course near you or email hello at mentalhealthfirstaid.org to schedule a training. Courses are available for individuals, groups, organizations, and companies of all sizes. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org and make a difference in your community. Yeah. Really good. I, I think that's part of the consultant kind of coaching piece in there that that's part of the art, I think, of mm-hmm. supervising. Yeah. You're also talking about another very, and I think this is an important piece, both for supervisors and for supervisees. You know, th- therapy is 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 a lovely, intimate, important relationship that people get to form with their therapist. There's safety, there's boundaries, there's things that, you know, given the fiduciary nature of it as well, provide the safest space possible for people to explore aspects of themselves that they have no other place in the world to do it with good therapy. Mm-hmm. But there's also things that come up, transference, counter-transference. And that relationship that takes place in therapy comes into the supervisory relationship as well. How could it not through parallel process? Sure. What's Absolutely. happening in the therapy session is going to come into the session with the supervisor. Of course it does. Mm-hmm. What I love that you're saying is that some of the qualities for a supervisor that are really necessary to track and identify some of those parallel processes, how to be able to talk about and artfully work with counter-transference and transference in necessary ways so the, the supervisee does not get caught up in those in, in enactments or in you know therapy-stopping you know, ways. That, that supervisor has to have a really good sense of themselves theoretically and a really good sense of themselves in their own transference and counter-transferential tendencies and being able to be aware of and find ways to bring to consciousness Hey, here's what I think is going on, or what do you think is going on even between us to right. be able to be comfortable in the moment? Say more about that. Yeah, it absolutely takes a high level of wonder 
and just that awareness of what parallel process is and what it could look like. And then being willing to say, hey, I'm noticing something in the room or could this be a connecting something that I'm seeing this connection? Could this be something that's true? And, you know, being very comfortable saying that. One of the things that comes up a lot, Graham, is, and one of the challenges for many supervisors is this difference between being managerial and being clinical. And it's very important to be clear. And some, some supervisors struggle with this a lot. And I see this. It's, it's very difficult to ride a line if you are both the managerial supervisor, meaning you like run your practice and you're the clinical supervisor. So you say, let's, we're going to talk now about your work hours. And okay, now we're shutting that off. And now we're going to talk about your clinical cases. That is really not a suggested strategy to use to supervise. The reason why is because it becomes confusing for the supervisee to understand where their boss takes off their boss hat and puts on their clinical hat. And that's that dual relationship, which we know about in therapy, is just as confusing for the supervisee and supervisor as it is for the therapist and the person in therapy. And so I generally don't suggest people do that or have that kind of a dual relationship because it can be really challenging. So, you know, that kind of thing comes up too, where you, you know, you have to be very clear, like right now we're in clinical supervision and we're talking about clinical cases and things that have to do with your employment. You go over here to, to John, he's the one that handles the HR stuff kind of thing. Yeah. Really good. Keeping that kind of separation there so that when they're in supervision, they get to be fully immersed. Mm-hmm. with the expectations that are there. Well, let, let, let's talk about that piece. So we're talking about the supervisor, what makes for a good supervisor. You're encouraging them to understand the importance of the role that they're in. And again, even though they've been there, to be able to give forward in a way through their supervision, something to somebody that's so important to bridge this. Let's talk about the supervisee. And for those thinking about receiving good supervision, what would you be encouraging them to be looking for And what would they know would make up some components for really effective and good supervisory process? Yeah, so when people come into the CSD, we have kind of an onboarding sequence that helps new supervision seekers figure out those kinds of things. And so we worked really hard to help people see that, that some of the things they want to look for, again, go back to you want someone that knows the laws of the state. You want someone to be confident in what's happening in their their state or states that that they're licensed in. You want to be sure that the person that you're meeting with, that you that you actually have some alignment with. And so one of the things that we're really proud of and is really critical to, to the CSD and the purpose of it is to help you know more about the person that you're connecting with. Do they do they speak your language? Potentially, do you do you have a native language that's not potentially English? Do you need to have that considered? Is their office accessible to you? You know, do they have a business background that's interesting to you? Do you want to maybe open your own practice? Do they work in maternal mental health? And that's a perinatal mental health. Is that something interesting to you? Are you curious about polyvagal theory and neuroscience? And and is that an area that you're interested in? Do you want something that someone that has some areas of expertise in, in that domain? Is the person that you want to work with, do they work exclusively with children and families? Or do they work exclusively in geriatric work? You know, like those are some things that, you know, when you're looking, you don't have to know all these answers and know all these things that you're looking for. But it's great if you can have a feeling for, hey, I'm thinking that this is an area of specialty for me. 
and be open to to those kinds of things. So but, so that's sort of narrowing it down, but like to broaden it out and to look at it a little bit of a bigger way, I think we want a supervision seeker that's also open to the yeah. possibilities, that's willing to be creative and open and and a, have a beginner's mind. So they can go into it and say, hey, I'm willing to try that because you're trying to expose me to new things, new opportunities, new areas where you think I could shine. So, you know, point me at it and let me try. Yeah. Really good. I think, you know, you're, you're describing right there, looking for a goodness of fit exactly. and, and, and looking at those things very, very importantly. Does a supervisor have their act together? Do they understand the laws? Do they have the standard procedures? Do they have things separated? You're also talking about, I, I want to be able to align myself, goodness of fit. I want to align myself with what I want to be doing down the road. And does a supervisor have what's necessary for me to bridge that classroom information and that knowledge and experience I've had with what I'm going to be doing in the real world so I can walk in with confidence, feel well-equipped, and feel competent in what I'm going to be doing. So yeah, really good. Well, let's let's shift a little bit. And I want to talk about this thing called the tender of supervision and what this is about here and uh, this cl- clinical supervision director. You got to gotta unpack this for us here. So I don't know how we came up with the tender of supervision, but essentially <laughs> what we realized was you know, people were asking us, we created the clinical supervision directory. I kind of came up with it in 2020 and we were all sort of what during 2020 sitting, sitting kind of around trying to figure out how to solve the world's problems. And, and, you know, a number of my colleagues, we were talking about this challenge of finding supervision. And I work in several universities and I see this on a daily basis and had had my own situations. And I promise you, Graham, I looked really hard. I looked really hard to see if anyone was solving this problem because I thought surely our associations had solved the problem, but they hadn't. And uh, several states have directories. Alaska has a really good one, but it's so big it has to. It doesn't have a choice. So a couple other states have a growing ones, but they're state isolated. So if you graduate from University of Maryland, but then you move to Ohio, you know, you might be out of luck or in the military and you're moving from state to state. And that was, that was a really big push. You, you're again, you're out of luck because you, you have to go start over again and find the whole, many times you have to start over again, find the board link and then find the supervisor list. So many states, of course, every state's mandated to train supervisors, but not mandated to list who they are. So what I said was, wouldn't it be great? This is how every good idea starts, but you know, then you kick yourself. But I thought, wouldn't it be great if someone made a one URL where just every university student could just go and like say, hey, I live in New Jersey. I want to find a supervisor. And then all the supervisors in New Jersey just popped up and then you could just pick one. Just like Tinder, you know, like you just go on there and say like, I want a really cute boy who looks like this and graduated from Yale. And he has, you know, like he, you know, he's a banker or whatever it is, you know, like you could just put it in. And then, of course, my friend said, well, Amy, then you need to do that. And I thought, oh, gosh, is this going to be a real business? Like, do I have to get a LLC and do it for real? And my accountant said, yeah, that's going to be real. And then I said, well, does this mean I'm going to be the supervision lady? Like, is this going to be an even bigger? And and everyone said, yep, that's going to be what's going to happen to you. And that's, in fact, what happened. (laughs) That's really good. So we launched it in 2021. And we said, you know, here we are, the Tinder supervision. But let me be clear, there's no dating. In supervision, because of course, our lawyers do not like that. That's very ethically, that's a big no-no. 
and not allowed, but we connect people. So we don't have anything to do once with it once you have the connection. So say, for example, you're the supervisor and I'm the supervision seeker. I can log into the CSD for free as a supervision seeker. I can look in any state in the U.S. If I'm an RPT looking, if I have a play therapist seeker, I can look for a play therapy supervisor and in any state because they can supervise across the U.S., as can EMDRIA, EMDR supervisors. And then the other uh, LPCs, counselors, MFTs, and social workers are, of course, state dependent. And so any seeker can look for free. And then the supervisors buy a listing, either monthly or annually. And so I can send you an email directly. And then you get a notice that says, hey, Amy's sending you an email. You should look for it. You know, write her back and let her know if you're available or you're interested in supervision. And then we can connect. And um, when I send you that email, I fill out a little bit of paperwork or answer a few questions so you get a little bit of information about me and go from there. And you have full control over your profile. So you can put your photo and a map to your office and how much if you charge for supervision. Some people do, some people don't. How much you charge, full bio. The cool, another cool thing is you can even put a link to your office. And mm. so our SEO, our site speaks to your site through Google, the magic mm. of the internet. And we actually get backlinks to each of our sites, which raises our SEO to both of our sites and becomes kind of an employment engine for you. So mm. if you're hiring supervision seekers, you're hiring residents, you can say, hey, we're hiring. We want to bring people on to our practice in New Jersey. And so it becomes, if people say, you know, hiring residents, New Jersey or residents, New Jersey, it will come up in Google higher up or more frequently as, as in Google searches. You also have a, a partnership program allowing the supervisors to connect with accredited program graduates in the USA. Mention just that a little bit. Yeah. So we, so you mean in terms of our partnership with the universities? Yeah. So, yeah. So we connect with all of the KCREP accredited universities to provide them with a course on supervision relationships for their graduates. And then we can also, we also give them the opportunity to connect with the directory. So we give all of, in fact, I have a whole stack of them right next to me. We give all of the graduating students this postcard that says, oh, you know, like it's nice. this isn't not the exact example, but we say, you know, like, congratulations, you've graduated. And now you have 4,000 hours more to go of training and we give them some stickers and some other swag, but essentially <laughs> right. we say, you know, and here's, here's your next step. And, okay. you know, kind of like a welcome to the profession package. Yes. And, and we're really excited about that. And that, and that's a, an easy way for universities to say, and here you go, here's your next yep. thing. And so that's a, that's a way that we've, we've formed a connection with, with our universities. And we've done that with the help of Triad. We've done that with the help of Tavera, which is a company that works with universities in supporting internships and a number of other corporate partnerships. Really good. So the directory is both a matchmaker in, in some ways, mm -hmm. and also it really simplifies something that the university should be doing, but they don't oftentimes prioritize it in a way yeah. that would be really helpful for those graduating. But you make it easy for them to give their students something that I think allows you to be a good resource for them to refer that on. You know what I also like that you're doing too is as I've I've learned more about this is you're encouraging, you know, supervision as an opportunity for those that are practitioners to look to enhance and grow and maybe branch out into new dimensions of their professional lives and mm -hmm. how might you encourage possible 
interested practitioners to think about this area of expansion and what questions should they ask themselves and how would they know if they were ready? Well, I'll tell you, you know, my big dream is for every association in the U.S., every professional association for mental health, for counselors, for social workers, for MFTs, to provide the clinical supervision directory as a value add so that we can help clinicians see that supervision is the way to help the next generation of clinicians become street ready for the exponentially growing mental health emergency really that we have experienced over the next over the last several years really supervision when you have been in the field for a number of years becomes really generative if we look at you know our generativity of of our careers it really becomes the legacy of what you're doing and when you have been in the field for a period of time you know beyond five years ten years there's a point in time where you have so much institutional knowledge that the the loss of that to our field is tra- is just tragic. Great. And you know, if we look back in our days, like you know, uh, in my day at least, I, I'll just age myself. But in my day, when I was, you know, I was actually just talking to some people the other day, and we were saying that you know, we're the people now that are writing the textbooks. We're the people that are teaching at the conferences. You know, we're the people that are leading the big trainings and and founding the theories and you know, like we're the OGs now, which is kind of cool and scary at the same time. But the point is, is that, you know, we are the legacy. And in order for us to pass it, we have to actually train the next generation in that legacy. And so, you know, we have a sticker, the CSD has a sticker that says supervision because one of me just isn't enough. Mm. And, yeah. and that's the fact of the matter is, is exactly that. If we don't pass on this institutional knowledge, our passions, our ethics, our skills, our compassion, our calm, our understanding of the world, then then who is? That's right. It's like what you're saying. <laughs> if, we, we, if we shy away from it, we're afraid of legit, you know, legal the legal right. issue. We're afraid of, right. we can't be that. We can't do that. So if we're together, if we do it together, it'll be okay. You know what I like about that, Amy, is that we get to see that we get to shape our future clinicians into really having a hand in how our profession that we've worked so hard for and committed so much to and want people to reap the lifelong generational benefits of, we can be responsible and have a role in, not responsible, we can have a role in and an imprint on where it goes in the future. And and, and I love that vision. We get to have an imprint on where this goes mm-hmm. and a legacy that gets to be lived. Interestingly enough, right around the time when, you know, Erickson's saying, hey, in, in, in generativity phase of your life, what a great place to be giving forward in kind of that sage kind of a role and to take all that you've accumulated and pass it on. And I think that's a wonderful, wonderful role. Mm-hmm. You know, I would love, Amy, for our listeners to be able to learn more about you after our podcast today, as well as the Clinical Supervisory Directory. Give us some ways that they can get a hold of you. Absolutely. The name of our directory is quite long. It is the Clinical Supervision Directory. And they can also find it at sort of a shortcut, which is the-csd.com. So that's a lot shorter and 
a lot less risk of misspelling. But that's that's the best way to find me at the at the hypencsd.com. And I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that we pride ourselves on is that, you know, you can find us like you can connect right with me. I'm also on our Instagram and on our Facebook. We have courses there and, you know, we're really trying to connect with people at the ground level because this is really this is my legacy. If if nobody else's, <laughs> this is really mine. And so that's how they can find me. I'm also on thewisefamily.com, which is my group practice in my hometown of Alexandria, Virginia. So I'm really, of course, proud of that as well. Well, well done, Amy. What a, what a great legacy you're living and what a great way to be helping our upcoming colleagues have a really great opportunity to find a goodness of fit around some of the best supervision that they can match themselves with and go into their careers this, and it's, it's an exciting career. It's a wonderful career. We are so fortunate to be able to do this and how supervision can be such a critical piece in that process. So it's been great to have you with us today. Thank you for being with us. And I appreciate our time together. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Graham. I enjoyed myself. Also want to thank you, our listeners, for dropping by and joining Amy and me. It's always great to have you with us as well. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and an archive of all of our episodes and resource materials can be found on our webpage at tryathq.com slash BHT. Thanks again for being on the show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.